Ay. 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 Hello and welcome to Keep Swimming. This is the film podcast that was created as a project during lockdown, but we've now started to come out of lockdown um, and we're back just to be general nerds, talk about films and um, have our weekly social interaction. How are you guys doing? How, how's, how's life? Uh, yeah, it's all right. I'm starting to actually work again, which is good. Woohoo! Woohoo! How about you, Billy? How's life? Life's good, yeah. I'm very relaxed after having finished uni year two, so I'm just applying for jobs and watching films in the meantime. Nice, nice. So, talking about lockdown easing, and now that we're no longer really a lockdown podcast, we're just a cinema and filmmaking in general podcast, um, what are you guys most excited to see at the cinema out of the lineup that's coming out? Good question. For me, it's probably The Father, because it's the only Best Picture nominee from the most recent Oscars that I haven't seen. And of course, you know, Anthony Hopkins with that big Best Actor upset. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, really, I'm really intrigued to see if, if it does, if his performance was the most deserving. And, and also just to see what the film's like in general, because it's kind of been hyped up as this really tough, difficult, but really intelligently made piece of work. So I'm, I'm, that's the one I'm most looking forward to see. I think it's out a week today. Olivia Coleman as well, like, never gives a terrible performance. Like, I can't imagine the film being bad. Oh, yeah, she's, she's always an incentive to go see something. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Max? Have you, have you got anything in mind for what you want to uh, see? Yeah, I want to see The King's Man. Um, I want to see Black Widow. Um, what else? In the Heights. I want to see In the Heights, definitely. Yeah. All of my kind of things that I want to watch in the cinema coming up are all musicals. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm, I'm well excited. So I want to see everyone's talking about Jamie. Oh, dear Evan Hansen. Oh, dear Evan Hansen. The music is some of my favourite, but I know it's going to reduce me to an absolute puddle of tears at the end of it. <laughs> well, as long as, Mer- as, long as you do, we don't have the same reaction as when we went to see Mary Poppins 2 together, we'll be fine. Oh God! That was um, that <laughs> was, was ex- that was an experience. Yes, um, just for context, hey, got- Billy. Just for context, Billy. She chucked up. <laughs> what? How? She. I think she. I think the film disagreed with her, and she just like hell. <laughs> I kept going. I watched to the end of that film. Right, I got it to was the, the end with the dolphins in the bath. And <laughs> Chloe just started vomiting. It was a ride. It was a ride. And we never saw a movie in the cinema together again. So, what are we talking about today, Billy? Talking about, well, it's my favourite movie-related day of the year, the Oscars. Woo-woo! Awesome. Why do you like the Oscars? Because here's the thing. I've got like a, an interesting relationship with the Oscars because I... I'm one of these people who I pretend to hate the Oscars until the Oscars is on, but then I will watch the entire event. <laughs> you know, someone with no, someone with no spine, basically, <laughs> someone with no integrity. 
Yep, he, he pukes at Mary Poppins. We're painting a very good picture of me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're coming, off, you're, you're coming off great from this, Chloe. Yeah. I am. I'm coming off amazingly. But anyway, Billy, back to my question. What does the Oscars mean for you? It's the one night of the year that's just wholly dedicated to just celebrating the best of the best that the, the, the year in movies has had to offer. And there's just a real sense of magic about it and the, the artistry. You know, you, we're just we're celebrating all that and bringing attention to it. And everyone, at least, you know, when you watch it on the TV, everyone seems really ex equally excited about it and everything. It's really kind of glitzy. You feel kind of, you almost get to kind of live vicariously through the people that are there and this, you know, really kind of prestigious far away ceremony. And, and it kind of starts really interesting debates as well about, you know, what, what is the most deserving? What do you want to win? Why? And, you know, there's all these tense sort of, you know, predictions about what's going to win and what's not going to win and yeah i just i just love all that about it and i like the fact it's a tradition you know it's it's a yearly thing that kind of prepare for yeah i must admit one of the best like oscar watching experiences i've ever had is when we went round to yours billy to watch it the year oh, that parasite so yeah the year parasite won and every, when parasite won everyone got so excited we literally just jumped up and started screaming yeah <laughs> Yeah, literally. I've got the video on my phone. It's brilliant. I absolutely love it. We were all just fingers crossed, like, please, it's the best, please. And then she said it, and we just, we couldn't believe it. We're like, yeah! We're such a group of film students. <laughs> it was like a football match. Anyway, how about you, Max? What's your kind of relationship with the Oscars? I, I'll be honest, I don't really engage with the Oscars. I, like, look up, like, oh, look, the Oscars. Let's see who won. And, da, 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 da. and I'll, you know, I'll find out who won, and I'll use the recommendations, but I don't really watch the pageantry. I feel like it's just a way to extract, like, more shit. And they're not got the greatest selection system in the world, and it's getting better, but I don't know. That's my opinion. <laughs> I quite like the drama of it. Like, the, um, you know, the, the fancy outfits and the very, like, Hollywood-esque, like, aesthetic. The thing is, I'm... Like, here's the thing where the no spine comes in, because I like watching the ceremony, but I also, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of internally hating it, but on the outside I'm like, ooh, shiny, it's so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, like, I can't win. I, do, like, I must admit that, like, more recently there's been, like, kind of more deserving winners. I think, yeah. you know, the year that, like, Moonlight won, I think was a little bit of a... Um, it was a big year for me because I remember, like, especially with the debacle, the whole like La La Land Moonlight debacle. That was like some drama I was here for. Um, but I, I don't know. I think there was just there's just something about it that sometimes can, seems a bit shallow. And I think it just depends on what the films are that are on display. This year's ceremony was very weird. Did anyone watch it? No, I. Didn't. Oh, I did. It was such a weird, like, you probably paid more attention than I did. Do you want to kind of do a quick kind of recap of some of the, the oddities? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I was kind of excited at the start, you know, Regina King's coming into the train station with, you know, the big sort of continuous tracking shot behind her and directed by Steven Soderbergh. And it's like, oh, this might be quite cool and a bit different, you know, than the usual fare from year to year to year. And then it just wasn't. It was tedious. <laughs> The bit, the bit that kind of stood out to me was when Daniel Kaluuya... Um, that was brilliant. <laughs> said thank you to his parents for, for conceiving him. I thought that 
<laughs> yeah. My, my parents, I'm here. They had sex. And that for that reason I'm here. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh my god. And his his, his parent his mother and sister's reaction was just golden. I was dying. Oh. It was brilliant. It was like, also it was a weird thing this year of the the orchestra didn't play them off. So like they could have spoken kind of for however long they wanted. And some of those speeches were pretty damn long, like yeah, that, I thought that was a ma- that was a major issue for me. Like you know, and and I, I think I've always thought the forty five seconds is too short for you know that that big a moment in somebody's career. But even then, you know, I think it led to some people rambling and going on for longer, and it kind of just diminished the power of the speech. That being said, I did. I mean, I didn't see another round, but I thought Thomas Vinterberg's speech was was really was really lovely and really moving. You know, tributing his. Well, all the people who worked on the film, but also his daughter who passed away in a car accident, who was supposed to be in the film like a couple of days, and she yeah, just... it wasn't. It wasn't long, was it? Before they, yeah, I was going to say it wasn't long before they started. Was it long before the Oscars or before they started shooting? I can't remember. It was like a couple of days before they started shooting. It was mad. It yeah, was, and and then he still went on to make the film, and and he's and he's a veteran, Thomas Vinterberg. You know, he was. He was part of the Dogma 95 movement. He's, you know, he's been around for years. He's made lots of great movies. Mm-hmm. And so it was really nice to see him get the award and also just, you know, have, you know, out of such a terrible tragedy to have, you know, a, a great honour bestowed on him. So I, I, really like that. I really like that. But for the most part, I thought a lot of the speeches were too long. And mm-hmm. you, you, Jungsun, I think, that, I think that's her name, um, getting on the stage and going, oh, Brad Pitt was Oh, there. yeah. <laughs> No, obviously the lack the lack of music was a bit of a problem, and just the general sort of slow pace of ceremony and whatever. But I think the most unforgivable thing they did, apart from I think we'll get onto this a bit later when we talk about best actor, um, that old thing. But I think probably the other most thing that I was just like, what one that what were they thinking was the in memoriam segment. Did you see that? No. Oh, I can't remember. What do you explain? Well, you know, normally it's one of my favourite parts of the ceremony because it's normally performed you know, live by a singer, you know, they've had Eddie Vedder do it, they've had Lady Gaga do it, and normally it's, it's really respectful and they pick, a really, they pick a really good song and they do a really beautiful kind of slow rendition of it. And it's a really wonderful tribute to the people, you know, well-known well and not so well-known that's been lost in the film industry. For whatever reason, th- this year, they decided to set it to, you know, I understand maybe they couldn't have had a singer there, so they had to go with a pre-recorded song, but they, they decided to put, put it to As by Stevie Wonder. Which on its own is an amazing song, and lyrically, I kind of understand maybe why they would have chosen it. But it's—I mean, if anybody's familiar listening is familiar with the song, you'll know that it's very big and very up tempo, and it just meant that they were cutting pretty much. I mean, I thought they were cutting on beat. Maybe they might have even been cutting even faster than the beat, but they were just barreling through (laughs) all the pictures of everyone going, "You're dead, bye. You're dead." I looked at my mum and I was like, what? This is going a bit fast, isn't it? <laughs> and, oh, a little one to get incredible. through. A lot of old axes. <laughs> oh, oh my God. And I was just like, they completely butchered it. I was actually a bit, I was actually a bit pissed off by the end of it. I was like, <laughs> I was grumpy after they did that. Yeah. Another oh. thing that they did this year, which I thought was very weird, was um, moving the best director award or was it best picture or best director earlier in the ceremony than it usually is best picture 
Yeah, best picture. Like usually yeah. that's the grand finale. That's the one that everyone that it's all building up to. And then this yeah. year they kind of got it out of the gate earlier. And I was like, I, was, I wonder what the justification for that decision was. Because it just didn't make much sense. Well, you know why? Why? Well, everyone, and everyone kind of clocked onto it before, during the ceremony. It was like, oh, they, they, Chadwick's going to get it posthumously for best actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's going to be the big, the big tribute to him is going to be what they finished the ceremony on. But then, of course, right. that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I wonder, like, um, you know, the people who organise the Oscars, they must know who the winner is at that point. Surely. They're just guessing read, as well. I, yeah, I read, I read an interview the next day with somebody from either ABC or NBC, whichever channel broadcasts it in the US, and he mm. was asked about it, and they, because everyone on Twitter was fuming. Mm. Um, even people who thought Anthony Hopkins should have won yeah. were, were like, you know, you've, you've dissed Anthony Hopkins and dissed Chadwick Boseman by putting this last. Because you've just, mm. just totally messed this up with how you've framed this award, and mm. the, the NBC or ABC executive was like, "Yeah, it was a calculated risk." So I, I can only assume by him saying that that, it, that they didn't know, which is crazy to me. I'm like, how can you possibly make? How can even you not, if, like stroking his envelope? Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's it, even both if... Chadwick Boseman and not Chadwick Boseman until it's observed. I mean, even um, even though Chadwick didn't win the award, I mean, I haven't seen The Father. I mean, personally, I, I you know, I love Chadwick Rose. I thought Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was incredible, so I think he should have got something. But it would have been nice to have seen a, a bigger tribute to him in there, just as such an, an icon that we've lost over the course of this year. Not in the dreadful in memoriam thing. Yeah, yeah, just like skip Zoomed past him. Laters! <laughs> Laters. Yeah, yeah. So before we go on to talking, you guys are going to talk a little bit about Nomadland. I've not seen it, so you're going to have to convince me to to go watch it. Um, But before we talk about that, I just want to ask you guys what your favourite, either Oscar-nominated or Oscar-winning film is. So your favourite film that has been featured at an Oscars award ceremony. Any Oscars award ceremony. Any Oscars award ceremony. And I'll go with Billy first and and then Max. I mean, my favourite movie of all time is the first Godfather movie, and that one Best Picture. So that's kind of that's kind of the obvious choice for me. Um, I mean, just to go for something a little bit different that might be slightly less obvious, people who you know know me. Another another personal favourite of mine is Her. I lo- I love that yeah. movie. And yeah, yeah. And best and the best original screenplay Oscar is maybe my is maybe my favourite award of the mm. ceremony and that was a winner of that and a very well deserved winner. And it's kind of interesting my relationship with that movie because I I watched it no I didn't I didn't I didn't actually watch it at the time before the ceremony. I saw most of the films that year, but not all of them. I didn't see Twelve Years a Slave, I didn't see her. I saw American Hustle and I was pulling for American Hustle because I thought that was fantastic. Still do. Mm. And then I think years after the that particular Oscar I I bought her on Blu-ray and thought, right, let's finally see if if this deserved that original screenplay Oscar. And I watched it and I absolutely loved it. And then I actually ended up doing, I, I studied three films for my extended project during A-levels and one of them was her. And I, mm. I watched it again and I just, I absolutely adore it. It's, it's, prob- it's probably a top 20 for me ever, actually. Not, not just in the 20 cents. Yeah, I just, that was kind of a movie that sort of grew, I, I went from not 
having seen it prior to the awards, which is kind of not, which is kind of a bit unusual for me because I, I do try my best to see them all before the awards. And then I go to it being a real favourite of mine. So that's another pick for me. Uh, Max, have you got one? The Muppets, 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did that get Oscars for? Did that win or was oh. it nominated? It, it won. <laughs> what did it win for? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's find <laughs> out. I, I... <laughs> Did it win? It, Did it win it won song? Some, hang on, it won the Academy Award for Best uh, Original Song. Yes! Ah, oh, The Muppets. What a great film. I mean, that was obviously a joke. No, I oh. agree. I think okay. The Muppets Jesus. Actually <laughs> <laughs> that I was obviously it. a joke. We'll just get caught. No, I, I, I... I, I want to keep the Muppets. Wait, no, what was your honest one? What was your honest right. one? Right, I have it a bit difficult because I think the 2019 Oscars were really good. Like, Parasite mm. obviously won Best Picture. Uh, yeah. Marriage Story, another brilliant oh, okay. movie. Jojo Rabbit, fantastic. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, pretty good. Not Quentin Tarantino's best, but good. 1917, once again, very good. Rocket Man, very good. The 2019 Oscars, I think I really liked a lot of those movies. You'll notice I left out Joker off because it's a trash movie for edgy teenagers. Oh, oh, oh getting controversial. controversial. Oh. <laughs> Did you see, okay. see Little Women from that year? No. Oh, Little Women is fantastic. Oh, it was amazing. Well, um, I think. I think. Um, the fact that Parasite won, I think that's got to be one of my favourite Oscar wins ever. Um, Black Klansman, I really liked Black Klansman, I thought that was very good, that was 2018 Oscars. Uh, had Blade Runner 2049 win in 2017, Jesus. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I really, really liked Parasite, I think that's probably in my top 20 films ever. Jojo Rabbit, Again, top 20. I think 2019 was a really good year for movies. I agree. I, I think I, I'm with you with a lot of that. I agree with a lot of that. I think for me, um, I can't remember what year it was, but um, Moonlight has to be one of my favourite Oscar winners of all time. I just think it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Um, Moonlight, I think, 2016. 2016. And then I also think that, I can't remember if it's the same year, but The Florida Project, that was another film that's just really stayed with me. Um, and I think that was at the Oscars. Because um, I think it was, wasn't it the first time that William Willem Dafoe had ever been nominated or something like that? Yeah, I think it's strange to think that Willem Dafoe, a guy with that career, hadn't, hadn't been nominated up until that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just in terms of films that I've gone back to more than once, because the thing is, a lot of the Oscar films, I, I think that they're very good, but I don't find myself re-watching them that often. I don't like find myself wanting to return to them. Whereas Florida Project and Moonlight are films that I've both re returned to multiple times. So on that kind of qualification, I'd say that those two are probably the big, the big ones for me. Yeah. I mean, I've watched Parasite twice. I think I've literally just sat down and watched Parasite twice in a row. It was amazing. The first time I watched it, it, it blew me away. Second time I watched it, once again, I was there like... Oh. Right, so I'm going to direct the... I'm going to give the conversation over to you guys now because you two... I've only seen one of the nominated films this year. I watched Sound of Metal 
um, which I really enjoyed actually. I thought it was really good. Um, but I haven't actually been that much on it with watching the Oscar nominees this time around. So I'm going to pass it off to Billy and Max, um, who've both seen Nomadland. And Max, you see it? You saw it last night, right? This is I very. I did. Um, I I I am in the midst of decorating my bedroom, so I do not have a TV. So I dragged Danny downstairs to sit in the living room with me and watch <laughs> Nomadland, and it was quite. I'll admit, it was difficult to do because Danny was not interested in the slightest in it. So didn't really watch it, so we just watched TikTok on her phone. And I thought that that was just a double insult. Because, you know, you, you, no, if you're not going to watch Nomadland, that's fine. But don't insult it with TikTok. Don't sully its good name with TikTok. So, I mean, so Danny clearly wasn't into it. No, clearly not at all. <laughs> So, uh, what what was your opinion of it then, Max? Like, let let's start with let's start with just kind of general impressions of the film. Yeah, my general impressions of it was it was um, it was quite a complex film. I don't think I think the reason that uh, a casual viewer like Danny um, was not really interested in it, it did not have like a, a structural kind of this is beginning, then bang, he is a very simple Hollywood problem, and then bang, here's the ending. It's mm-hmm. more of this kind of cerebral discussion on kind of loss and death and moving on and like learning to live on the road and kind of finding yourself there and meeting other people and then going away from those people and kind of being given all these opportunities for other people to fix you because they just think you're homeless when in actual fact uh, Francis McDormand's character just was trying to live out her life. On the on the um, on the streets of America, and I, I I really liked it. I I there was there was a speech by one of the characters. Let me see if I can find Pat, the old woman that had cancer. Pat, uh, Patrick Patricia. Oh yeah. Patty. Um, the speech where she was telling her how like her life was complete because she'd like seen swallows on glass like mirror clear water then she'd kayaked with them that was like that speech genuinely not many things in movies make me cry that did that had me that broke me that really moved me as well that yeah it caught it caught me off guard with like they were just talking and then it was this oh i've got bone cancer i'm gonna kill myself because i don't want to feel all that pain my life is complete i've done all these amazing things I'm like 70 odd years old. And you could see that Fern kind of felt that, right? Yeah. What was your um, kind of general opinions on it, Billy? How long ago was it? Has it been since you saw it first? Well, I, I watched it yesterday as well. I watched it kind of yesterday afternoon. And then I was, I was on the chat to Max like, watch it for, watch it for tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I, I went in with the highest of expectations um, due to everything that had been said about it and of course with having it having one best actress best director and best picture you know three of the biggest awards of the night so i'm like okay i'm expecting a lot is this but I'm, but i was also expecting you know not a particularly like max said not your standard sort of hollywood fare you know it's not not going to have any big sort of hollywood big moments big moments in it big cinematic moments or whatever and I thought it was utterly extraordinary. 
I was really, really knocked out by it. I mean, every sort of measure that I sort of judge films by, it, it succeeds into such a high degree. I mean, I could, I could honestly talk for ages. Like, the, I'll, I'll try and keep it relatively brief, but it genuinely felt like one of those generational movies in a, simil- in a similar way to, to Parasite when we saw that, where it just thought, you know, it, I genuinely felt like after finishing it, I thought that in, in, in a few decades' time, people are going to look back on that and think that that's an example of what cinema does. In, in its highest form. And it feels like we'll, it'll be studied in the future, right? Like, we'll be able to... Classrooms in 50, 60 years' time will be looking at cinema of 2020 and be like, so this is one of the shining examples of um, this generation of filmmaking. Um, because it is. It's a, it, as a movie, it is one of those things, as you said, that will be regarded how we regard films like Psycho. And- I mean, I, when I watched the trailer for it and kind of looked through, one of the things that I was kind of really intrigued by was just this kind of sweeping cinematography um, that the film has going on. Does that review just want to quickly talk through, talk through that? Because, I mean, obviously I've not seen the film, but from what I've seen, the cinematography looks really effective, really gorgeous. I, I think that how Chloe Zhao has used cinematography in this movie, honestly, kind of... I, I picked it up on instantly, and that doesn't mean that it wasn't subtle. It was, it was quite bold. When, whenever she's in a house, whenever, whenever she's inside, you kind of get this trapped look with the cinematography, kind of high contrast. It's almost silhouetted against every single thing. Like, it makes you feel like she's uncomfortable in that situation. Like, she doesn't like being inside a house or, you know, being around people in a home she likes to be outside because she does she's a nomad so it's kind of using the narrative language because she doesn't say any of that explicitly and throughout the movie she's you know always nice to people who have invited her into their homes and what have you you kind of get the impression that she's trapped because obviously the cinematography and when you go outside you get the like really sweeping views of the beautiful landscape and you're like watching it i think through her eyes as she's feeling the freedom that comes with being a nomad to her Billy, do you want to kind of expand on that what were you going to add yeah i hadn't i had i mean you're totally right max about the trap look that you the that you get when she's inside those interiors you know kind of shooting her from above and also from behind and kind of also hanging in quite quite close on her I mean, the film uses so many kind of wide angles, wide panoramic angles of the landscape that when we do push in close, you do get sort of in a sense the claustrophobia. I mean, just on a purely aesthetic level, it's a stunning movie to look at. I mean, they really make use of the widescreen, especially in some of the, the big canyons and nature reserves that they go in. Really quite extraordinary landscape and how they're framed against it as well. But I mean, it, and it just goes to show how well visually she tells the story because she knows when to use kind of there's this great continuous tracking shot as she walks across this sort of RV van site where they're having a great big nomad gathering and she sort of passes all her different friends and sees all the different aspects of the 
the place where they're all gathered. And then there's some other bits where it's just a really matter of fact, sort of heartbreaking conversation between two friends. And it's just really long kind of drawn out close-ups of the two of them really capturing the essence of the performances. You know, she, she knows, she knows when to pull back, she knows when to push in just, yeah. The camera work just really beautifully accentuates emotional narrative beats. Something else that really kind of stuck out to me about the, the storytelling in the film, and this is uh, Chloe Zhao's doing as well, because she edited the film is, is the editing. It's really quite unique in the fact that it, it doesn't follow normal continuity editing. Um, and, and for anybody that is listening that might not know what that, you know, the terminology for that is, the, the editing you see in most films where several different shots shot a diff and take shot at different times are cut together to form sort of a, a coherent scene between two characters that, um, that makes sense in terms of the space and the time. Like it exists like a real conversation, even though the various bits that were taken were not shot at the same time. In the case of Nomadland, there's, there's so many spatial and temporal jumps. You know, she'll be, she'll be in one place the next, you'll, then you're standing outside her van, you'll get one shot of her driving, you know, across the landscape, and then she'll be in a completely different state with, you know, trees around her as opposed to the snow that was in her with the state before. And then you'll get another shot of her traveling and then you'll get, just get a, a wide pushing in on, pushing in on her around a campfire with the rest of the nomad. It's kind of interesting because so, there's lots of other movies and it's not necessarily a criticism of, these, of any other movies that do this, is that they'll, they'll kind of show you every sort of slow step of the journey. Mm. And I think what this did so successfully, Nomadland did, was it, even though it's a very kind of big story in terms of the, the land it traverses and the ideas it thinks about. It never feels slow or languid or like it drags. It's not an especially long movie. It's in about an hour and 45 minutes. And as well, these, these, these time jumps, you, you can follow them as an audience because you're, kind of, you're being shown just enough, but you're not being shown every sort of step. So there isn't, so it doesn't feel like you're lingering on any scene too long. And it contributes to this constant feel of, progression and moving through the the narrative that means it doesn't feel boring or unnecessarily drawn out and i just thought it was for a movie that could so easily have have been you know plodding and uninteresting in the hands of a lesser filmmaker you know the editing really helped to keep a sense of pace about the the entire work yeah i think the the editing gives us an insight into um fern's kind of thought process through all of this because right after the discussion with Patty, you know, where they're discussing growing old and cancer and dying, you get these kind of cuts to this much younger woman um, kind of doing all of these things that might make her complete like how Patty, like Patty, like how she won, like, you know, swimming in lakes and walking through scenery and seeing swallows fly over glass clear water just like patty said and you kind of get this um impression that fern is either thinking about doing them or in the scene it's not i think explicit to me that if that the character played by gay de forest is the same as francis mcdormand's fern i don't know if that's a younger character 
Um, I was going to say we're actually we're actually kind of getting a little bit close to the end, so I just want to ask: um, the, out of the other Oscar films that you guys have seen this year, how does *Nomadland* compare? Do you think it is a worthy Best Picture winner, or are there others that you think no, it was quite a tight contest? I I don't think it was tight at all. <laughs> I, love no. it. I love that you agreed, Max. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Billy, like, I mean, yeah, no, no competition, not at all. <laughs> yeah, and of course we can't we can't make a complete judgment until we've seen the father, but um, and and that's not to say the other films weren't terrific as well. Minari was great. Promising young woman was really powerful. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was really good. They were all they were all really strong. I think Manx a bit of an outlier in that. I wasn't a particularly big fan of that one. But I thought they were all really good. But I think it just speaks to Nomadland's quality that even in such a good pool of movies, it was just streaks and streaks ahead in terms of quality. Just ev everything about it. it genu I genuinely can't think of anything wrong with it. Like, like uh, there wasn't anything out of place, any kind of foot it put wrong. Yeah. What do you guys think about how this year's Oscars has maybe affected the future of cinema. Because it was a, a few things that some people pointed out after the award ceremony was there wasn't actually a lot of reference to, you know, the things that we can't do, you know, the communal experience that we've kind of lost watching movies. And it's interesting that Nomadland, a film that I, would, I wouldn't associate anywhere near Disney, has found its home on Disney+. Plus. I assume that's where both of you watched it. Um, yeah. And also... You know Netflix as well with Mank and Trial of the Chicago Seven. So, what what are you guys' kind of opinions on what we think this might mean? Do you do you think we're going to be seeing more online releases of yep. big Oscar films? Yep, and I think that's terrible. Mm. I think that the way that the cinema works and the way that the reason that cinema has existed for so long is that it's accessible. You don't have to subscribe to Netflix to see the newest release. You don't have to subscribe to Disney Plus as you do now to see the Star Wars films you want to see or to see the, the um, Oscar award-winning films that you want to see. You, you never had to do that. All you had to do was turn up at the cinema and pay for a ticket. And I think now that this has happened, I think Disney and companies like Netflix are going to keep the tightest grip they can on that increase in profit. I think that it's only a matter of time before um, you get Netflix originals and Disney Plus originals being the only things that are submitted to the Oscars because they're the only things that are remotely good enough because they're, they're, just, releasing the, they're just releasing the box office hits in cinemas because it's more profitable for them to not because if they they'll get mm -hmm. the movie buffs who want to see it go and buy the thing go and buy the subscription service i think that well i mean you know my opinion on things like netflix making originals and not showing them on at cinema anyway yeah. i just think it's flagrantly wrong and they know it is <laughs> yeah you know it's it interesting is. it's definitely interesting that this kind of film has found such a home on streaming sites during the pandemic. I mean, I understand why this year has been the exception, but I, th I do worry that now that it's happened, 
and there is a market for it, that we might see more of these kinds of films being released online, maybe not at the cinema at all, because they want to draw that audience in, oh, if you want to see the latest Oscar winner, you have to subscribe to this, you know, to this platform. What about you, Billy? Where's, where do you stand on this? I, I think I, mo- I mostly agree with you guys. I mean, especially with that massive sort of thing with, you know, Amazon buying MGM for you know, 9.8 billion or something, mm. which, you know, one of the oldest film studios and now it's owned by <laughs> Jeff Bezos. And <laughs> owned by, well, not, well, Amazon isn't a streaming service, but it has a streaming service. And greatly involved in that as well. I mean, I, I do try and look for some of the positives. I mean, certain films like, there was a really terrific horror film from last year called His House that was picked up by, that was picked up at the Sundance Film Festival um, from the director uh, by Netflix for distribution. And I do wonder, you know, would that movie have been as, as widely seen and as um, well acclaimed as it was last year, had it not received as much as wide distribution as it did through Netflix? So I think that there is the opportunity for kind of lesser known independent movies that don't come out of the big studios to to get seen by um by a by a wider audience through the streaming services but i do also worry about you know all these big oscar contenders you know it's kind of funny because i could have seen nomadland at the cinema but for kind of convenience and also money i i i chose to watch it on disney plus um, so there is that kind of thing you know, are we, are we going to get lazy as a viewing audience and just go oh well I'll go I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll view it online, I don't have to go to this and, yeah. I, and I do worry I mean, about that as well I think there is there is a certain magic to go and seeing a movie at the cinema I, I think that my prime example of this is when I went to see Endgame, the midnight showing mm. with all of my friends, I think that communal experience through Disney Plus, there's no, there's no way that that will ever be replaced. But you know, as people get lazier, maybe the option or the thought of going to the cinema and going and watching a movie with your friends, maybe that will just I mean, start maybe, to come out of the public purview a bit, and that would be really sad. Like maybe, maybe the opposite will happen. You know, we've all been cooped in for so long. Maybe when cinemas do reopen, there'll be a bit of a resurgence. I think it just re- depends on we need the right kind of films to get people back enjoying that communal experience and the the thing is i also think films like nomadland you know i don't know if that's something that i would go and see at the cinema i mean i do like now that i'm doing a film course i'd be more inclined to go and see films like that at the cinema because i do like you know the experience of it but before you know kind of i came to uni to study film i would only really go to the cinema for, to see the big blockbusters like you said um you know like the end games the marvel star wars and to go chuck up, chuck up in um mary poppins and chuck up in mary poppins yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> proper that's a proper northern thing to say in it chuck up yeah chuck up in, in mary poppins. <laughs> chucked up in mary poppins <laughs> didn't it <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you guys for joining me and doing this episode today. I think we're going to try and get these back to being regular episodes. So next week we will return. Um, 
So yeah, thank you very much for joining me, guys. And I keep swimming, everybody. And we will see you next week. Bye. Okay, is Billy not going to get an opportunity to say bye then? That's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm just sad. I'm just sad. <laughs>